welcome to episode 142 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Bridget McAdoo, VP and Chief Sustainability Officer at Genesis, where she is responsible for sustainability as a management approach that holistically optimizes the economic, social, and environmental impact of the organization. She drives stakeholder engagement, education, and the evolution of the sustainable strategy and programs across Genesis, and leverages sustainability metrics to track non-financial performance and deliver sustainability reporting to all key stakeholders. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. The Climate Champions is also sponsored by the Gridwise Alliance. Uniting grid modernization experts from across the electricity industry, the Gridwise Alliance promotes grid innovation for a decarbonized economy. To learn more, visit gridwise.org. Also, check out the videos on my new YouTube channel, The Climate Champions, with interviews with Jigger Shaw, 11-year-old podcast host of We the Children, Zach Fox Duval, Peter Kelly Detweiler, and many others. Bridget is also a founding member of Chief, a private network built to drive more women into positions of power and keep them there. Chief is the only organization specifically designed for senior women leaders to strengthen their leadership journey, cross-pollinate ideas across industries, and effect change from the top down. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Bridget McAdoo, VP and Chief Sustainability Officer at Genesis. Bridget, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And after we agreed to talk to each other, I realized that a previous job I had a long time ago, we are talking 15 years, probably an operations excellence program at San Diego Gas and Electric, actually at Semper Energy at the utilities. We use Genesis to improve our processes. I don't even know if you were with the company back then. (laughs) Small world when that happens. And it was very helpful to make a better call center for us. Just imagine if it was fantastic then, how extraordinary it is now. Absolutely. And if the company had continued on the path they were down, they wouldn't have benefited from all those improvements that I'm sure you've done over time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what really excited me is to see that the company has embraced climate change mitigation and sustainability. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. What was your motivating moment that got you excited about aiming at climate change from a career perspective? Well, it wasn't just climate change. So when I was working in aerospace, I decided to go back for my executive MBA. And I was at Claremont Graduate, which studies Peter Drucker's principles. And Peter Drucker being the father of social good and social innovation, when you start studying his principles, it really starts to change who you are. That program was life-changing for me because as much as I loved engineering, what I learned in that program was 
the opportunity and the responsibility around what corporates and executives can do to really help society thrive. And I wanted to find a role and an opportunity to do that. I wanted my personal values and my professional values to be equally yoked. And it's not that you cannot do that in an ops or an engineering role. I just wanted to be extremely specific about it. And as you can imagine, 12 years ago, sustainability wasn't what it is today. So it had to be an extremely disruptive, but yet purposeful pivot to get into that world. And I was at a convention where I ended up meeting the then new chief sustainability officer at Yum Brands. And I was just talking to him. He never told me what he did. We were just talking at a table and I was like, I just really want to do all this work in sustainability. And then he waited till after I got done talking as they introduced him as the speaker to say, oh yeah, and I'm the chief sustainability officer. And he reached out and said, hey, I really need someone with your background. You have the supply chain and engineering background. And I think it would be fantastic if you came and brought those skill sets and then you get to pivot to sustainability. And I didn't want to move to Louisville, Kentucky, but it was the best decision I could have made. It was an opportunity to get into sustainability really at the ground level 12 years ago and build a program at Yum, a global program to really focus on sustainable sourcing, governance, communications, outreach, impact. So my entrance wasn't, I want to go focus on climate change. It was, I want to go into this space to help impact how and improve the way communities and society can thrive. And it brought me to it from that perspective. And personally, I prefer sustainability and the way we do it at Genesis when it is a cross-functional, holistic, integrated approach so that the E doesn't live by itself. The E, the S, and the G are intertwined. We try to make sure that we get the wins within those pillars. So yes, climate change is important, but if I can't talk about climate justice at the same time I'm talking about climate change, then I'm doing it a disservice. If I'm not talking about how we sow back into our communities, yet I'm talking about the lack of access to food or clean water, then I'm doing the complete conversation a disservice. So that's a long-winded way to say, while climate is always going to be probably a focus that most think of when they hear the word sustainability, I prefer to go back to the traditional way of looking at all the realms of how we can help make sure that society thrives. What drives you? I will say, I always tell people my three F's is first faith and then my family, right? Those two, and then the finances will follow, right? So it's always going to be my faith and family. I want to know that, you know, I feel good about the work that I'm doing, that I can feel that um, I'm doing good into society, that I'm doing something beyond myself, that I can, I can serve others at the same time as doing my work. And, and I want my family not only to feel like I'm leaving something behind that's useful for them, but that they can be proud of. So that's what drives me. When you meet people that don't share your beliefs <laughs> with regards to sustainability yeah. and climate justice, climate change, how do you convince them otherwise? <sighs> well, you know, the good thing about the engineering side of my life is you could always try to find data to prove certain things. So you start with the data because sometimes I find people's inability to either accept change or to take in new information is either driven by fear or misinformation. So I either try to figure out, is it fear, a fear of something being taken away or, or being exposed, or is it a misinformation? And whether it's one or both, 
try to go at it that way. So want to disengage the fear. We can have a conversation. And even if we still disagree, that's completely fine. We can have respect for one another. But also, if it's misinformation, let me provide you with some specific data. The unfortunate reality is in this social media world that you can always find an alternative point of view, even if it's not factual. (laughs) So you try your best to substantiate whatever that you're going to put in front of them so that you can help round out their perspective on whether it's climate change or social justice or whatever the cause might be. You know, after you do this for so many years, you find solace in knowing that there are going to always be people on the other side of the pendulum. And that's fine. It actually is the purpose for the work. Ultimately, you hope that regardless of those dissenters, that you can continue to drive the change and hopefully bring them along sooner than later. As Chief Sustainability Officer at Genesis, how do you help them to be more sustainable, to be more focused on environmental justice, climate change, and those very important issues? Well, you know, I will say this. When I started in December 2020, while we did not have a formalized sustainability program, and while we did plenty of things that contribute and attributes of sustainability, it was not a formal program. But when I came, I had a conversation with our CEO, Tony Bates, and our chief strategy officer, Peter Graff, and was really transparent and honest about what I hoped to achieve by being in this role and what I thought a strategic outcome could be over the next year or two and what I thought we should focus on and the areas that we needed to double down in. And it was alignment from the beginning. For me, that was a huge blessing because I knew going in that my personal and my professional values were going to be aligned. We could have all the conversations that needed to be had. We could make the moves that needed to be made. And we could figure out how to pace the sequence because some things take time. Also, the chief diversity officer was already in place when I came. So we were able to partner closely on initiatives. And as we identified other gaps, we had that executive accountability to say, hey, well, we'll, we recognize these gaps and give us some time, but we're going to fill it in. Man, if I look at where we are today versus where we were when I first started my journey with Genesis, it has just been astounding to see all the different people who are now part of my, you know, my sustainability team might have formally a few people, but my informal family across Genesis is so large and wide of people who are committed to the journey. And and I think that's what helps us to continue to be, I say, a leader in our industry in sustainability. It sounds like you have a fantastic situation right now that excites you and you're excited to get up every morning. How did you get to where you are? What was your prior background? I do have a bachelor's in industrial engineering and an MBA. I've had a career that has spanned roles in operations, project management, engineering, supply chain. There was no perfect path to where I am right now, which I think I personally think has helped me because I have had a lot of cross-functional expertise and haven't been pigeonholed into one specific area. And I've had also a multiple sector experience and I've done everything from Fortune 50 to a conservation organization like WWF all the way to a you know small cap private company like Genesis. So I think it's allowed me to just see things from multiple perspectives and have opportunities to sit in multiple roles to think about the business from a broader 
purview. But when people always ask me like, oh, what should I study? Well, now they have that. But when I was in school quite a while ago, sustainability uh, was not an option. So I appreciate the path that I've taken. Can you talk about a difficult setback that you've had in your journey? Almost any chief sustainability officer, anybody that does this work will tell you that the biggest pain point is always sometimes you can feel like you're fighting uphill just to get traction, which is why I always tell people I have such, I, I am extremely thankful for my situation now, because even if there's a no, it's really to me at this point and where I am at Genesis, the no's are usually just not now, not no's versus I've had plenty of different roles where the no's are such setbacks with progress. You're never going to truly make the commitments that you've made. You're not going to have the impact that you have put out or purported to have or that you're going to have committed to. You don't have the resources to move things along. You don't have the executive leadership that are really committed to the progress. It's kind of similar to microaggressions. You know, once you have so many of those little things happen, you can just feel absolutely defeated in the work and you lose, you lose steam. The juice isn't worth the squeeze sometimes. When you do lose that steam and, and feeling like you just don't want to keep moving forward and fighting the fight, I think it's a setback for many sustainability professionals. One that I wish didn't exist um, that wasn't so prevalent to where there's just that constant fight for prioritization and for resource. Do you have any advice about how people in our profession can break down that wall? If you're lucky enough to have an executive leadership that is committed to it, hold on to it tight. While they used to be anomalies, I think that's becoming a little bit more mainstream where you're finding leadership that is truly committed. I will say, especially for those who might be in the middle, or if you are a CSO, make sure you have a, a voice and a seat at the table. And ask for that up front. Like if you're interviewing for roles, ask where does the role report? Where in the organization, who does it report to? I find that a lot of CSOs end up buried within organizations. Is it part of the strategic business outcomes? At Genesis, sustainability is one of our four business metrics. If not, then how will you measure it and how will you drive value? How will you distribute the responsibility across the organization? You want to have those real conversations. But if you're in the mid, you know, if you're in a middle part of your career and you might not have a seat at the table, I say continue to build those business cases and the ROIs on the value. Every leader wants to see value propositions. And so if you can qualify and quantify the sustainable change that you're, you want to drive and see, that will help you get the ears of the leaders that you need to get. Can you talk about the biggest successes that you've had in your career? I've been blessed with some amazing accomplishments throughout my career, but nothing brings me more joy than what is happening right now at Genesis. In the two and a half years that I have been there, we went from not having a program to not only having a robust program, that we are measurable, we are transparent, we are bought in through all of our employees at our customer event. We offset this entire event. There was sustainability signage all over the place of how people could continue to offset. We had our sustainability report that released for everyone to read. It is another beautiful piece of work that shows all of the amazing things that are happening across our environmental, our impact together, our supplier diversity, 
our sustainability ambassadors, all our AI and ethics and corporate governance. And because of all those things, we have a B with CDP, which we were a D when I first started. Ecovatus, we were bronze. Well, we didn't even have rating when I first got here. But in the first year, we were bronze and today being gold with Ecovatus. And for some, they might say, well, that's, of course, what you should be doing. But we are privately held, right? And how many private companies of our size do you see that are this transparent, that are this intentional, that lead with empathy? We have truly embedded sustainability into who we are and into our ethos. My goal coming here was that it would be an organic extension of who we are and what we do. Our CEO's keynote when he kicked off our event was good 20 minutes of sustainability. I don't have to pepper him with things. He's just as bought in and he can go off and speak to it just as well as I can. So can our executive leadership. We're giving back into this community while we're here to see where we are today versus when I started. And I've been remote the whole time. So I'm sure there were amazing things happening in our offices, which again, we now have two lead platinum offices. I mean, we're talking two years of activities and I've been in bigger companies that have been around much longer. I, you know, I have friends that are at large scale companies. And when we sit there and commiserate about what we're doing and, and what obstacles we have as successes, they get mad at me. Like what you're doing over there is kind of mind blowing. Don't you know what I have to deal with? And I'm like, you're right. I'm extremely proud of what we do at Genesis. I'm extremely proud of the progress we've making, even at the things that we haven't yet accomplished, but yet we recognize are on the horizon. I'm extremely proud of the fact that we get to get the recognition for the hard work, but I'm extremely proud that none of it is performative, that all of it is intentional and embedded into who we are. So right now, I'm very proud of Genesis and the work we do with sustainability. That's very exciting. One thing that's very lucky for me is I do get to meet people and companies and people that lead companies and sustainability programs that really care. I really hope somehow it spreads to the world because I believe in all arrows in the quiver and not just technology, but really all companies and governments and people have to engage if we're going to make true change. Absolutely. You talk to plenty of CSOs or sustainability leaders, so you know that this work sometimes cannot be for the faint of heart, right? You have to be committed to the change. You have to say that those no's are not now's. You have to tell the same story 10 different times in 10 different ways to 10 different audiences. And it can come without recognition, which is fine because it's the greater good. This is meaningful work. It's purposeful work. And I'm just the lucky one that gets to do it for a company that gives me the support I need to make it happen. So looking at the future, 10, 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. do you think the earth is going to do well as we know it? What is your forecast for how well we're going to do with climate justice, climate change, and all the other issues that are at stake right now? I wish I felt completely confident. So there's the one side of me, there's the optimist side of me that says that the progress that we have been making that we will write the path and start to, especially here in the United States, make more progress. I think our counterparts in different parts of the world are outpacing us. And I'm hoping that we will find our way to get on a level playing field here in the U.S. 
But the realistic side of me says that I don't know if people understand the consequences of not paying attention enough. Partly because when it's talked about, it's talked about in such a dire way that people feel like there's nothing they can do anyway. So, you know, if it's already burning, just let it burn. So I do think we as practitioners or those who have passion for this space have to find ways, as you mentioned earlier, about how do you bring people to understand? We have to find ways to tell the story the way people can receive it and digest it to help be part of the solution. Because you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. There's no in-between. And we have to find ways to help people feel like they can be part of the solution and recognize that it's not an all or nothing gain, right? Little steps matter and they help. I think sometimes people get vilified for having success in one area, but not having some in other. And there's just these perfect scenarios don't exist in this space (laughs) because what good looks like is going to always change and evolve. You're the first person I've done a podcast with since I was in New York a few weeks ago where they had the air that was pretty much unbreathable. And I'll say that while usually I'm more optimistic than pessimistic about our future, I called my dad, who's 85 years old and lived in New York his whole life. And I said, hey, dad, has this ever happened before in your memory? And he said, no way, nothing like it had ever happened before. And it discouraged me, frankly, in a way that I hadn't felt before. I really felt like this has started now in a big way. And that kind of greenhouse gas being released into the atmosphere, that many trees putting it all back at one time, I was more afraid than I usually am. And that's saying a lot. It was it was absolutely scary. And I, you know, I live in D.C., so while it did not look like New York, we couldn't be outside for two days. It was a very scary situation. And people still and yet and don't understand the correlation to climate change and and still think one has nothing to do with the other. And that's the unfortunate part of it. How do we get to those who still after an event such as that, that is that drastic and dire? How do you get people's attention, especially like now, today, where it doesn't look like that anymore and people feel like it was just maybe something that just came and it's gone, not understanding all of the consequences that that incident now is causing. I agree with you. It was it was like something I'd never, ever seen. And I asked my father the same thing. He never heard or seen such a thing either. Um, it was quite scary. Well, I had never seen anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you think the pandemic has impacted the future of the world? I don't know if we'll ever be the same as we were pre-pandemic. There are multiple things. The workforce has changed. We have remote workers, people who don't want to go back into the office. We have those who I think are more conscious about the cleanliness of their surroundings, of course. You know, it's changed healthcare. It's changed how we interact with one another. I think it's also made people a little bit more conscious of nature and the environment and how they can or how things can help or or not help the ecosystem around them. But I do think it's an opportunity to be better, to be more conscious, to be more aware, to be more mindful, to be more caring. But that's the optimistic side. I see the other side where I think the the focus on mental health, the 
disparities that are in society, they are quite heightened since the pandemic. From a social side, like social justice, I feel like it's been worse post-pandemic than prior. And it, it is concerning, extremely concerning. Do you think it's impacted climate justice, climate change, sustainability? I do because the unfortunateness of how this space has been politicized, how we are now having to argue about what words we use and how we phrase what needs to get done, focusing on that and not focusing on the actual content versus the context of this work, it can be quite frustrating. Not aligning on what good looks like, on what frameworks should be and how things are going to be accounted and measured from a practitioner perspective, this can be quite frustrating. So yeah, I feel like this work, the goodness of this work, the intention of this work is getting lost in all of the the noise around it. And um, it makes it, when you're doing the work, a little bit more difficult. But you still have to work beyond the noise and, and keep focused on what your goals are. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any advice for people about how they can help with these issues? I think some people are enjoying arguing about the context of the conversation. ESG versus sustainability, all these different things that people want to claim versus the actual content. All these distractions are getting away from, well, we, we still do need to focus on clean energy. We still do need to focus on infrastructure. We still do need to focus on providing clean water and clean air and access to food. All these things still need to happen, but everyone wants to sit there and fight over all those contextual things that aren't moving the needle, but the content still gets left out. I would tell people to focus on the content. Don't get caught up in all the distractions around it. I totally agree with you on that. And it can be difficult though. It can be difficult. I know, I know it's easy. You seem sometimes it feels like they're trying to draw you into it. <laughs> and it's hard not to at times especially when you're doing this work, some things you hear can seem so egregious that you're you're just wondering, how did you even get to that point of, of thought? <laughs> but yeah, you do have to, you have to shut the noise out. Yeah, I made the mistake of looking on Twitter because I got an email that there was a Twitter post <laughs> just this morning, right before this podcast. And I wasted an hour. You went down to black hole. Because I got sucked into reading about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, I don't even have Twitter anymore. There's too many other things that you can get wrapped around. No, this work sometimes can seem, especially when you go to a lot of our conferences and you go to the conferences too, it can seem like there's just no helping anything that we've gone too far beyond the ability to get to where we need to be by 2030 or by 2040. And that we are just, you know, doomed. And I always say, well, everyone talks about all the problems. And we constantly talk about all the problems. I push people in our space to tell us the solutions, practical solutions, applicable solutions, not theoretical. Talk about the solutions. Even when I was, you know, at WWF, I would say these are all fantastic theoretical solutions. But business aid, doesn't, that doesn't mean that they can actually do that. And so I loved how we were pivoting to having applicable 
business applications on how you can drive conservation change. And I think that was a beautiful thing to see because there's so many times where I think especially corporations feel constantly on the, their back foot because no one's given them the opportunity or coming to them with reasonable, realistic business applicable solutions. Or sometimes some of the space, as you also know, can be so crowded with 12,000 different things to try to solve one problem. I would love for us to have, to just think about how we are positioning the opportunity for change. How do we bring people along? How do we provide opportunities for people to add value? I don't know if we do that enough. Is there anything else you want to add to the conversation? At Genesis, we just released our third sustainability report. And again, our sustainability program is technically almost three years old. And I would just love for everyone to read it, to see all the progress we're making for, we have our 2030 goals to be carbon neutral. And we've had year-on-year reductions in our emissions, 8% year-on-year. We have two new LEED Platinum office buildings that we talk about in our report. We talk about how we're moving our customers and migrating them and how that helps them with their scope two and our scope three and emissions reductions. We have our societal pillar where we have a 2030 goal around positively impacting people in need. We wrote out a global charitable offer. We are aiding in those interactions for those people in need. We want to have a hundred million interactions for people in need that we can help per year by 2030. We also have a goal to be as diverse as the markets and where we work. And we've seen year on year increase across our women within the organization and across our underrepresented groups. And even just this quarter, we have reached about 30% of women within the company. And so, you know, that was one of our goals is to get to at least 30% women within the company. So, you know, in the tech world, we're making huge, huge strides to see our underrepresented groups and our women continue to have year-on-year increase. And we also have an inclusion score that is a, a high score above 80. I think it's 84, 85. And that tells us that our employees feel seen, that they feel like they can be their authentic self, that they feel like they can develop. And those are huge strides for us. And then on our governance side, there's so much talk about AI and ethics. We have our AI and ethics guidelines. We have an AI and ethics roundtable, but we are committed to making sure that how we use AI, design it and implement it, that we're thinking about, you know, transparency, privacy, security, ethics, and reducing bias, and that we embed empathy within how we do AI. So read our report. It is robust. It is measurable. It is transparent. I feel like it's just such a comprehensive reflection of a company that has rooted itself in empathy. And whether we're building empathetic experiences or we're orchestrating empathetic experiences for our customers or for the society or for our employees is a labor of love. A lot of hard work, (laughs) but such a labor of love. So yes, please, it was just released and I look forward to people reading it. That is great. And on that note, I'm going to wrap this up with a wrap. Moving to Kentucky, it wasn't such a thrill, 
but you glad that you did it with Yum in Louisville. What maintains your drive for sustainability is finances, faith, and family. You hear from your executives, not now, not no, which allows the company to progress and grow. If you're in sustainability and you're able, you want to try to get yourself a seat at the table. I loved how passionate you got and how wonderfully loud you were when you talked about Genesis and how you were so proud. There's not a lot of documents that you have to sort. Just go to the website and read their sustainability report. Thank you so much for sharing your view from your journey. I appreciate how much you grew. It was so exciting talking to you. Thank you so much. Bridget McAdoo. Bravo, Lee. Yes. <laughs> With the bars. Okay. <laughs> I loved when Bridget spoke about how proud she is of Genesis's commitment to ESG and how excited she is about the successes the company has had pretty much across the board. It is great to be part of a company or any organization that speaks with actions. It was great to hear about a private company moving forward with such strength. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatteenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe. Rate it five stars if you're an Apple user and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. And check out my new YouTube channel. Just search for The Climate Champions and Lee Crevat. Bridget wanted to align her personal and professional values, and to do that, had to pivot deliberately. It was disruptive, but purposeful. Today, there are more opportunities in sustainability. Whether you change careers, move to an organization that shares your personal values, or increase the actions to align with who you want to be, they can all be ways to help mitigate climate change.